we can have fun with that, can't we? But it's not funny. You know how many people did not know how to get to heaven? It's amazing. Um, out of, what, 15, 20 people, maybe, maybe two or three people could actually say how you get to heaven through Jesus. So we have a world of people walking around just doing life and not thinking about eternal life. And they have no clue that there's an eternity that's ahead of them. And that's our job. That's what, that's what John 3.16 is about. It's about not only knowing ourselves how to have a right relationship with, with God through Jesus, but it's also the responsibility that we have to, to know what the good news is and to be able to share the good news with other people. That's why we've been on this um, eight-week series, just, just making camp in John 3 and 16. Jesus and his disciples were walking along a path in the countryside of Judea when suddenly a young man ran up and knelt before Jesus. Good teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus replied, well, why do you call me good? Only one is good, God. Well, you know the commandments. Don't murder, don't commit adultery, don't steal, don't lie, don't defraud each other in business, don't dishonor your parents. Well, teacher, all of those things I have kept from my youth. Okay. Jesus looked at him, and this is an amazing statement. It said that Jesus loved him. Isn't that amazing? Well, one thing you lack, go and sell everything you have and give it to the poor, and you will have treasure in heaven. Then come and follow me. Then the man's face fell, and he went away sad, for he loved the God of money more than he loved God, the giver of wealth. What does eternal life mean? Pastor Dan, I remember you saying last week that everyone will be resurrected. That everyone has eternal life. That is true. We just read a passage together as the community of God in Daniel. Some will rise to everlasting life and some will rise to everlasting shame and contempt. If you notice in Daniel, in our text in John 3 and 16, everlasting or eternal life is always in contrast to something else. It's always, as we say, juxtaposed. It's set aside one thing or another. And that setting aside helps give definition to one or to the other. Everlasting life or everlasting shame and contempt. Everlasting life or in our text in 3.16, perishing so we have to start by looking at those two words, eternal, everlasting, and life, and trying to figure out what those two words or that short phrasing means. In generality, we'll look first of all at the word eternal and everlasting because it is a general statement with limited understanding. It speaks to both the righteous and the unrighteous, the lost and the found, the saved and the unsaved, we have all been created to be eternal beings. Everyone enters the reality of who God is 
at death or when Christ should come and judge. We all enter into a doorway, one that leads to life or one that leads to juxtaposed death or perishing or whatever words you want to put in there from the scriptures. The generality is that word eternal or everlasting. It's actually part of the character of God. That's why we have to speak about it in generalities because we don't understand those God words. Infinite, omniscient, omnipresent. What are those words? Well, they're God words, which means we only have a limited idea of what it means. So when you say to me that I have everlasting life, what does that mean? I don't know. Because I can't say it goes on forever and ever and ever because that still puts me in my world, in my time frame. Does that make sense, church? I have to look at this from God's perspective and who he is. And so I want to do that just very quickly. It's, it's about who God is and then connected with that. Genesis, if you would please, the 21st chapter and the 33rd verse. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree in Beersheba and there he called on the name of Yahweh, the Lord, who is also known as, church, the eternal God. The eternal God. Moses claims this as well in Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy 33 and 27. The eternal God is your refuge. And underneath are, church, the everlasting arms. Arms that never give up. They never give in. They never get tired. They're, they're arms that I'm not connected or associated with. I don't know what that means because my arms get tired. So this is something about God, something incredible, something desirable that God has for us. He will drive out the enemies before you saying, destroy them. Deuteronomy 33 and 27. God is eternal. He has no beginning and he has no end. I don't understand that. It's one of those faith issues. He belongs to a dimension that we have no knowledge or understanding of. And he created us in a limited way to be just like him. Limited because we have a created beginning. But God says we will have what type of an ending? An eternal, everlasting life. There is no end as far as the scriptures teach us. Our life is eternal, but this life that Jesus talks about is much more than quantitative. Quantitative talks about an amount or length of something. We actually, when we speak of everlasting or eternal life, we're actually talking about not only the qualitative, but more importantly, the qualitative, quantitative, long duration, length, quantitative or qualitative the quality of life. And you, you know this with me. As we get older, or if you have, for example, a terminal disease or something that there's, there's going to be a shortened lifespan for you, we know the difference between taking medicines or doing something that extends our life, which is quantitative. I'm going to have more days, more years. Some people desire that. Some people don't desire that. They desire to go home and be with Jesus, and they're looking not at the quantity, they're looking at the quality of life. I want the quality of life, not the quantity of life. So when we look at the passage in John 3, 16, when we're looking at that God will give us everlasting life, we're looking at those generalities of not only 
quantitative, but qualitative life that God gives to us. Listen to the words of Jesus in John 10. Very familiar passage with most of you. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep, the entrance. All who came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. I'm the way in. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. That's, that's health. That's, that's what God is after, that qualitative life. The thief comes to do what, church? Steal, to kill, to destroy. That's not life. I came that they may have life, but not just life. They have it what? Abundantly. There's your quality. I want you to have wholeness. I want you to have more. Now, what did Jesus mean when he said that he came that we may have life? Were people falling over physically dead? No, that's not what's being spoken of. So if it's not physical, it has to be immaterial. It has to do with that which is part of our soul or our spirit. Life must be connected to God. And he does that in two very specific ways. We have the generality of eternality because we can't wrap our mind around that too well. But we do have two specific things that I think we can. And the first one is reward and the second is relationship. I'd like to go back to the rich young ruler for a minute and find um, that man's question uh, to be interesting in our conversation. I'm going to give you a fill-in-the-blank statement and what you see if you remember the word. The young man asked Jesus, what must I do, blank, eternal life? What must I do to, blank, eternal life? Inherit inherit eternal life question what must you and i do for an inheritance i want to receive that right the answer is nothing if my if my uncle bob dies and leaves me a hundred thousand dollars what must i do for that Simply receive, pay taxes, thank you. <laughs> death and taxes, Lord, the great divine theology of life, death and taxes. After the government gets with it, done with it. You know, the, the point is, you don't do anything for an inheritance. You don't earn it. You get it. I may not even know lost long Uncle Bob. I may be his sole relative that he went down the family tree and found me and decided he was going to give me all his stuff. I don't know. I don't know who he is, but in, in some way he's brought favor into my life. I didn't do anything for it. I just simply receive it. Question number two, what must happen normally for a person to receive an inheritance? Someone must die. Do you see how the gospel fits into that? I am receiving an inheritance from God. I didn't do anything to deserve it. I didn't ask for it. I didn't earn it in any way. 
and yet God willfully and wonderfully gives it to me. However, in order for me to get an inheritance, someone had to do what, church? And that person was, it was Jesus. That's why I think God uses that language because he understands the legal ramifications of someone needs to die in order for the inheritance to be released. The problem with people is that they still think they must do something to receive eternal life, some work, some action that will appease God to go to church enough, to give enough, to be a good enough person. If you listen to the the interviewers on how people think they're going to get to heaven, be nice to your brothers and sisters, uh, you know, do good things. Three quarters of them just didn't have any idea. Secondly, they either bypass the death of Jesus or they add their work to him. It's a false gospel. I can get to God some other way. No, you can't. Jesus is the only way, the truth and the life. No man comes to the Father but by him, by Jesus himself. It is exclusive. It's not inclusive. You must come through him. He is the door, the door in. When I was in the Middle East, I was actually asked to teach on this passage I was out in the middle of the Syrian desert. I was in a monastery called Dier Mamusa, the mountain of Moses. It was, I don't know many, how many hundreds of feet. All I know is that the temperature at the bottom was about 90, and by the time I got up to the top, it was 40, uh, and I was out of breath because we had to walk. But you could look down on the desert, and you see these little bitty lights at night. And the next day, as we left that place, we came down. I was asked to do a devotion in a sheep gate. A sheep gate is, is very simple. It, is, it looks like a square, uh, fairly high wall, and there's only one entrance. Does that make sense, church? So if you can think about the, the, the altar area, Jesus is the sheep gate, There's only one way to get in and there's only one way to get out. And guess where Jesus stands? Right here. Because he is the what? He is the door. He is the only way to get in. He's the only way to get out. There's protection there. So when Jesus was speaking about this, everybody would have understood. They would have had a very clear visual of what Jesus was talking about by way of rearing or raising sheep. In this same passage, the rich young ruler, Jesus said that it would be easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to get into heaven. And Peter immediately chimed in and he says, but we've left everything for you. Notice what Jesus says as well to him. And everyone who has left houses or brothers or sisters or father or mother or wife or children or fields for my sake will receive a hundred times as much. I have two younger sisters They're part of my biological, physical family. But when I came to know Jesus Christ as my Lord and Savior, I inherited a whole new family. I have thousands of brothers and sisters in Jesus, and all God's people said. That's what the church is about. It's about family a hundred times over. But not only do I get that tangible thing, I will also, notice the language, and will inherit eternal life. Peter, if you've given it up, don't worry about it. You're going to get it back multiple times. 
Eternal life is not earned, it's not given, it's an inheritance as a child of God. Eternal life is not earned, but it's indicated by the fruit that you bear in the world, if you have it or not. Listen to this end time passage in Matthew 25 and 46. Then they, that is those who are unrighteous and wicked, will go away to what type of punishment, church? Eternal punishment, but the righteous will enter into eternal life. There you go. There's your juxtaposition again. Unrighteous, righteous, lost, saved, eternal punishment, eternal life, always set against each other so that you understand the massive distinction between those two. Eternal life is a reward for believing and receiving and bearing the fruit of that relationship with Jesus. Eternal punishment is the reward one receives for not having that belief and not pursuing Christ. It's a reward, but I did mention something in that passage if you were listening. It's also about a relationship. In fact, I would argue eternal life is more about relationship than getting stuff as well. Notice the high priestly prayer of Jesus in John 17, 3. It's very clear, church, is it not? Verse 3, this is eternal life. What is eternal life? That they would do what? They would know you, the only true God in Jesus Christ whom you have sent. It's about relationship. Here are the words of the Apostle John. If I can get that to move. The life appeared. We have seen it and testified, and we proclaim it to you. The eternal life which was with the Father and has appeared to us. It's speaking about Jesus. He picks it up in 5 again, in 20. We know also that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. And we are in Him who is true. By being in His Son, Jesus Christ, He is the true God and He's what? He's the eternal life. It's about relationships. God the Father, God the Son, and Holy Spirit. <clears throat> I'm going to try to sing something for you. I, I did it ad, uh, ad hoc in the first service, and I couldn't remember the words. There was a whole lot of humming going on with a few words smattered in between there. I dreamed of a city called Holy, so bright and so fair. When I entered the gates, I cried holy, the angels all met me there. They carried me from mansion to mansion, and all the sights I saw. But I said, I want to see Jesus the one who died for all. Do you remember that song? And I bowed on my knees and cried, Holy, holy, holy. I clapped my hands and cried, Holy, holy to the Son of God. Isn't that a great song? See, that's what that's talking about. 
I don't care about the streets of gold. I don't care about the mansions. I don't care about the gates of single pearls. I don't care about the multitude of jewels and the foundations of heaven. All I want to go is see what, church? I just want to see Jesus who loved and died for me. That's what heaven is about. It's not all about that stuff. You're going to get that stuff. That's reward. But even much greater than that is the relationship that you'll get with Jesus Christ, your Lord and your Savior. Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, the source of all life, life in its fullness, there will never be anything created that will satisfy us like a vibrant, connected relationship with God in which all of those blessings will flow. No more sin, no more death, no more pain, no more guilt and shame, no more struggle, no more fear. It's an everlasting, indescribable, wonderful, abundant life. The gospel, the good news, is that God the Father did something in the past. He loved the world and he gave his only one, only begotten son for it. The gospel, the good news, is for everyone present, present here today. It is for the whosoever will. It is for you and for me. It's the good news for the one who will believe and receive the love and the free gift of God the Father. The gospel, the good news, is that whosoever will believes in Jesus, God's one and only Son, shall have a certain future. He or she will not perish. That person will not be eternally separated from the presence of God, from His love, from His blessings. The person will not endure eternal darkness, the place where the fire is never consumed or where the worm dieth not. The good news, the gospel is that by believing and receiving the person of Jesus as your Lord and Savior, you will have eternal life. And all God's people said, please. Well, one last time. Let's read it together. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That is a promise to you this morning. God's gift. A great reward. Himself. Let us be satisfied in that. Shall we pray together as we close?